Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and it's time for our weekly review with the best-known analysts in the world joining me. Uh, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. This week, we have a lot to talk about, including the latest fiasco at Fox, Mike Pence avoiding subpoenas once again. And, of course, you can't go anywhere these days without cops handing out weed to people and gauging how they react. So stick around. we got a lot to talk about. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and let's start with one of the big uh, news bombshells of this week, the Fox News bombshells that they knowingly uh, permitted lying on their air. Is that a shock? I guess not. But uh, in court proceedings, in a suit against Fox, Rupert Murdoch emailed Fox News President Susan Scott with a warning about Newsmax as a possible a competitor, so urged uh, the network to join fa- uh, join forces with Donald Trump, quoting, Trump will concede eventually and we should concentrate on Georgia helping in any way we can. We don't want to antagonize Trump further, but Giuliani should be taken with a large grain of salt, everything at stake here. Tucker Carlson also wanted Fox News uh, to fire White House correspondent Jackie Henrich for uh, fact-checking Donald Trump's election lies. And Carlson had a group chat with fellow primetime stars Sean Hannity, Sean Calamity, and Laura Ingram, uh, and said that it was, said, what the fuck, I'm actually shocked. It needs to stop immediately, like tonight. It's immeasurably hurting the company. The stock price is down, not a joke. Here to discuss that joke, I'll let uh, you probably remember Jackie or no Jackie, uh, John, but uh, that's a hell of a thing to you have a reporter who's actually reporting facts and they want him fired. Let's start with that. As an editor, how would you feel? <laughs> uh, not great. How about that? Um, you know, I, I wonder, yeah, about the, the folks in the bureau here. Uh, we, we only get snippets of that. Um, you know, the Washington Bureau who would, you know, folks like Jackie Heinrich, um, at that time, I guess John Roberts was still a White House correspondent for Fox. Um, I guess they would have, they would have reported directly to the whatever in television they're called. I guess editors or bureau chiefs 
And um, I wonder if they were pushing back or if they felt they could push back. Uh, Jackie was not fired. She's still in the front row of the briefing room. So someone stuck up for Jackie. We we haven't seen those communications, at least not yet. So um, this is this is this is kind of like covering Trump. I've always said um, I am surprised but not shocked that this went on at Fox. You you get a sense here of the divide between Dayside Fox and Primetime Fox. Uh, Dayside Fox News and Fox Entertainment, basically, because. And well, yes. you know, those people are not news people. Jackie was the news person. Correct. Correct. And, you know, there are a lot of um, talented journalists on day side Fox News Channel. Uh, Bill Hemmer, uh, Dana Perino, Jackie Heinrich, uh, John Roberts. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the list goes on. Uh, uh, you know, there is a rightward tilt, even for some of those individuals. But you know, you get Fox and Friends in the morning, and then they, and then after Brett Bear in the evening, um, it really is alternate reality stuff. It's it's not fact based, and um, you know there was clearly an impulse, even among some of the primetime folks, to not follow Trump down this stolen election um, rabbit hole, false rabbit hole, and yet when push came to shove. Oh wait, our giant salaries are suddenly yeah. The, at the play. tail of the tape so, there is you know the stock is down. Yeah. No joke. So maybe we should dip our toe uh, in those waters. And now Newsmax was never going to catch Fox News, but the worry seems to be that Newsmax was cutting in, potentially, eventually would cut into its its profits. Not not surpass them by any means, but just put a substantial dent in the bottom line and and it shows and when you watch fox primetime there's a word i pulled out a quote from the washington post story this morning on this and uh, it's one of the executives and he says every topic and guest must perform that was ron mitchell the network's executive in charge at least at the time of primetime programming and analytics he said quote Every topping guest must perform no unforced errors in content. Example, abruptly turning away from a Trump campaign news conference, end quote. So there he's saying two things. He's saying every guest must perform. We know that Mitchell and uh, not Mitchell, but others had said our viewers want the stolen election stuff. So this was an example of Mitchell and other executives did the same thing of trying to steer, especially that primetime lineup back to the trump false claims yeah also the bottom line so they are so to your point and we've known this but this just confirms it after 6 59 p.m weekdays they're not doing news and it should be labeled on screen that this is all commentary but they yeah. don't do that i write opinion and analysis now when i write a news analysis we label it in front of the lead analysis when i write an opinion column boy it's above the headline it says opinion Right. That's how you do it. You don't do it how Fox is doing. No, you don't do it. Well, that, and that begs the question, Michael, I guess I'll ask you, how does this hurt? You're not part of that world, but you're part of the consuming world of, of news. You're also a federal, federal prosecutor, so you know <laughs> BS when you see it. But how does that affect those who consume news? 
it does, it, I, I would have to think that at the end of the day, this is another example of how we undermine ourselves by producing bullshit and selling it as, as eggs. Well, let me not answer that question and let me <laughs> answer a different question um, more more in my wheelhouse. And because I don't know, I don't consume news um, on television very, very frequently. But let me just say this. Well, I'd say that's an answer right there. <laughs> the, the, um, the thing that I was going to observe is that Fox is being sued by Dominion, the um, voting machine company. And in order to prevail in a lawsuit like that, they need to establish that this was malicious, intentional, purposeful, not inadvertent, accidental. I got a mistake. So what these emails seem to indicate were I a Dominion lawyer, is that Fox, in fact, was acting maliciously, intentionally, not by mistake, in the reporting of Trump's theory that Dominion voting machines were somehow purposefully Compromised. rigged. Yeah. Um, and so I think this email exchange and, and many others where the, the, well, the, the primetime hosts, prime hosts are talking to one another saying, this Trump um, election for stuff is BS. Yeah, let me, let me share that go, with let let me, I go. want to get your take on that. All right, so top Fox hosts and executives knew the election claims were bunk. That's the key argument that you told, talk about made by Dominion. And um, private texts from top Fox News figures demonstrate they did concede the claims were crap in private. Quote, Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. That's what Tucker Carlson wrote to Ingram on November 18th. Ingram replied, Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Quote, our viewers are good people and they believe it. Carlson lamented. Does that, is that? No, but that, that, that's the point that I'm trying to drive at those yeah. email exchanges. And were I a lawyer for Dominion, I would argue shows that this was not an inadvertent mistake. This was not, we got, you know, bad sourcing, but rather this was a purposeful effort to make sure, as the earlier email said, all of our anchors are in the, in the evening performing. And so they're purposefully performing a lie. And that I think will help Dominion in that in that lawsuit. I, I think that these emails are very damning legally for for Fox. And I wondered, uh, but I don't know the answer to this. I wondered where is the FCC? There you in go. All of this. Where is the Federal Communications Communication? Um, <clears throat> where is the Federal Communications Commission in all this? If they know that someone who has a license um, to broadcast is purposefully lying does that in any way should that in any way jeopardize their license well and i don't know the answer to that maybe you well, here's right. the thing fox network does not need nor does it have a license it is the oh. individual fox stations that uh broadcast what fox produces that have the licenses and therefore every fox affiliate every uh fox uh, station across this country <clears throat> it opens itself up for FCC investigation and a revocation of their license 
should the FCC choose to do it. But what I think you point out is that there is a need for congressional action uh, against networks who don't have, or at least some regulation for those, you know, for the networks themselves and not just those who hold the broadcast licenses. And I, I don't know if there's a, and that's a question I've asked repeatedly at the FCC, what, by what method, what lever could you pull to go after this, the networks? And they really don't have it. And remember, a lot of these uh, laws that were passed regarding broadcasting were back when networks were more nascent. They weren't, they were beginning, the, the bigger power was in the individual broadcasting um, uh, uh, licenses held by the stations. So I think it's long overdue for an overhaul to protect us from, you know, libel. Right now, the only thing that protects us from that particular uh, um, <clears throat> aggression is uh, of the libel laws. And, and as you pointed out, you know, uh, you're saying that they're going after them for maliciously doing it. So absence malice, they could get away with it. But if they can prove malicious intent, that's how they'll nail them. And if, yeah, you, if you haven't seen the wonderful movie Absence of Malice, go look at that. I just referenced it obliquely. I, I'll, I'll close by saying that I find that it is not only a, an injury to Fox, but to every everybody who produces journalism, there will be a portion of the audience that believes this is how we all operate. And it will hurt us. Our it this aggressive, and um, I, I think it to be criminal, but at least it's a civil, you know, problem. Um, and it's not very civil. But I, I would think that uh, I think all of that reflects poorly on all of us. And it's a shame that it had that it happened. And I feel very badly for Jackie because she does try hard in the White House to to do her job and to be threatened with being fired for telling the truth I, to me is an anathema to what we do. But hey, what do I know? I'm just that guy. I, I'd like to take up, uh, and uh, Michael, I'll go to you next. I, I'd like to take up something that <clears throat> Mike Pence said this week that he's going to defend the Constitution by refusing his subpoena. And I was wondering if you could explain that to us and <laughs> how you think how do you think that squares in, in the court? Well, so at the top of the answer to the question, so much for Mike Pence putting national interest above personal political <laughs> benefit. Because if he were putting national interest over personal political benefit, he would not fight this subpoena. And so let's just dispense with this notion of Mike Pence the hero. He didn't testify before the January 6th committee. He's fighting this um, subpoena. All he did was stay in the Capitol um, that day and do his job, which is good, um, but it, it, a hero doesn't make. So <laughs> back, back hero, John? To, <laughs> so, so back, Go ahead, Michael. So, so back to um, the hmm. question. He receives a grand jury subpoena that say, we want your testimony. We were specifically interested in knowing what Donald Trump and you were talking about in the run-up to January 6th and probably in particular on January 6th. And generally speaking, the grand jury has a right to every person's 
evidence. We saw that, you know, played out in other administrations. United States versus Nixon is one case of that. United States in Ray Seal case, Bruce Lindsay, uh, White House counsel, deputy White House counsel was forced to testify in the Clinton case. Espy was required to testify. Uh, uh, Agriculture Secretary Espy was forced to give, they, they were forced to give testimony in the Espy case. So there's a long history of cooperation and or losing these types of cases. So here comes Mike Pence. And knowing that he would lose probably under U.S. versus Nixon, the grand jury has a right to that evidence, he instead, he, he instead says, well, the speech debate clause, which protects legislators from being called into court or elsewhere for their official legislative activity, he says, my activities are governed by the speech and debate clause because I have the, I assume he says, I have the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. And so I get somehow shoehorned into the legislative protection that speech and debate holds. I think it's a very tenuous argument. His January 6th activity was a ministerial activity, as he knows himself, because that's what he told Trump. Right. Um, but nonetheless, this case will percolate in the courts for a year or more, um, because that's how long things take. And so what he is doing here is saying to the MAGA base, I think, in political terms, look, guys, I'm not I'm not turning my back on you or or Trump. I'm going to fight. They wanted to kill him. Right. I'm going to fight this tooth and nail. So can you start loving me again? And um, he's saying to the, the courts, that matters more to me than finding out whether or not the former president of the United States committed crime in the context of a, an assault on the Capitol. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I've said this before. The, there are so many profiles and cowardice among this group that it is stunning to me. And Pence may be now among the ringleaders of that um, cohort of um, coward or cowards. Well, I can't. And John, you and I covered this. I, how can you imagine anything more cowardice than caving into the very people who said they wanted to kill you? And, and, and I mean, they created a scaffold. They were, they were going to hang him. This wasn't being hung in effigy. They were going to hang him in fact. And he he was so afraid of his own, <laughs> again, his own personal survival instincts kicked in. But I mean, he was so afraid of going with the Secret Service that night, he didn't leave. How do you how do you cover that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question. I I think we have to we have to deep fry our coverage in the proper context. And you laid it out pretty accurately there. Um, I always go back. I wrote a story in 2017, uh, maybe late spring. Um, sorry, uh, I think it was in April or so. Anyway, I, I making the case that Pence was going to New Hampshire, Ohio, North Carolina, Florida. All of his early visits as vice president were to swing states, Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, walk through it. 
he was raising money uh, at a he was outpacing the president Trump at that time raising money and and just walk through this in a story that Pence appears to be positioning himself to run in 2020 if you know Trump implodes or has to resign or whatever and I got several uh, senior aides at that time and still advised Pence and I come back to the quote one of them said look John this is a very ambitious man other than his faith in his family his ambition is a close third and he wants to be president and that's not going to change and I said so why is he doing this why is he at the same time carrying Trump's water and I was told that he views that MAGA base as his path because um, they're deeply a lot of things, but a lot of them are Mark Short, deep. was it? Um, I, I'm not going to play that game. Um, <laughs> but um, but, um, but um, no, Mark Short at the That's time. That's a yes. Mark, Mark Short at the time was Trump's legislative yeah. liaison. So um, anyway, the, the upshot of the story is he saw the, the MAGA base as his ticket to the nomination at some point, because there are a lot, there are deeply a lot of things, but a lot of them, uh, at least, and I grew up in the South, I think people will understand what this means. At least on Sunday, a lot of them say they're deeply religious and, and Pence saw that connection. Um, But then they chanted a lot of the same people who I'm sure went back home and went to church Sunday uh, were chanting that they wanted to hang him at the Capitol on January 6th. You know, my colleague at the uh, colleague that covers the white house, um, and other beats, Nial Strange um, at the Hill uh, newspaper. Um, this morning, he published his top 10. He, he's a column, kind of like me. He's a hybrid reporter, right. columnist. He published his top 10 GOP candidates right now. And Pence is seven or eight out of 10. Um, this isn't going Nikki anywhere. Nikki Haley is 11 or 12. <laughs> In reality, you know, I might have put him eighth or ninth with uh, me all and I could have a, a beer sometime and talk about that. Um, but yeah, it's just, this isn't going anywhere. He needs these people. He needs their votes. He needs their money. And, you know, I, I think this is rather uncomfortable to watch and to cover. Um, but, you know, I, I guess Pence, you know, he's, he's no spring chicken. He, he feels like he has to do this. Uh, and he feels like he has you to do this. Be, you think he'll ever testify? No. Michael, unless unless he's forced to, he'll, he'll be, never, he'll, he'll never testify to. on his own. Right. Right. He won't voluntarily testify. Correct. But right. he should, at the end of the court case, like Don McGahn, who stretched this out for three years after receiving a Mueller subpoena and finally testified, Pence will finally testify. The question is only when. And that, I think, is the gambit that Pence is playing, which is if if it can get me a year without having to be seen as a snitch, then that's good for me politically, personally. Yep. Hell Absolutely. with the country. Hell with, you know, the criminal justice system. Hell with the January 6th committee. If it's good for me personally, that supersedes all other considerations. And that tells everybody in the GOP today. On that note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, more, more subpoenas, more fun. And who, of course, can't forget Nikki Haley announced and Don Lemon went to Miami. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. 
As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. And like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we've been talking about subpoenas and uh, a lot of other stuff. Now, uh, in addition to Pence getting a subpoena, Meadows was subpoenaed, uh, Trump Mar-a-Lago attorney Corcoran was subpoenaed, declined to answer, uh, citing attorney-client privilege. Meanwhile, the DOG is, uh, DOJ is seeking to get the testimony, saying the crime fraud exception allows it. Michael, I'll let you uh, chime in with that first. My question on all of this is for the viewing public and for the readers, for the audience, convinced that nothing is ever going to happen on any of these cases. Do these subpoenas support that or do you believe that it it shows that there's actually action being taken? We'll start there. I think the latter. I think that the fact that this is a grand jury. So remember, this is not Congress. This is a grand jury and grand juries receive evidence to determine whether crimes have been committed. So there's an active grand jury determining whether crimes have been committed. We don't know who the targets are, but we know that they are investigating potential criminal activity leading to indictments. So who's Corcoran and what does this mean? Corcoran is a Trump lawyer. He was one of the lawyers involved in certifying that the Mar-a-Lago documents were fully um, returned to the National Archives. They, he and Bop, I think her name is, signed mm-hmm. a letter, or he drafted and made her sign a letter that says, like, to the best of our knowledge, we've returned everything there is after a thorough search. Turns out that search wasn't so thorough, and that statement may not have been accurate. They want to talk to him about it. And he has said, I can't talk to you about this because I have an attorney-client relationship. Now, remember, these are private relationships right. now at this point. It's not government, although I think the government-attorney-client relationship would fall um, as well. He says, I can't talk to you about it because I have attorney-client privilege with my my client. And he is asserting that privilege. The government says... We disagree. You may be an attorney and you may, under ordinary circumstances, have attorney-client privilege. However, the courts have established long ago and well that if those attorney-client communications involve the possibility of covering up or perpetrating a crime, then what's called the crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege kicks in. And so the prosecutors are saying these conversations were in furtherance of or in covering up of a crime. And so, sorry, Attorney Corcoran, you have to come and tell us what was being said because you cannot cover up your own or anyone else's potential criminal wrongdoing by hiding behind the 
shield of attorney-client privilege. That's going to get litigated, and we'll see how it turns out. It seems to me that if the questions that the prosecutors are asking relate to when you got that notice, what was done with those documents in respect of that letter that said there has been a thorough search, what did you do to verify that? And or if he knows also what it was that led to those documents being removed in the first place. Remember, Corcoran was also one of the liaisons that Trump established right. with the National Archives. So all of that stuff has the potential to um, be relevant to a grand jury under this crime for exception. Now, there may be questions that that don't get asked. Like, remember, we talked a minute ago about. Do you think they'll like tell them to testify? Do you think they'll hear his testimony eventually? Corcoran? Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say what I was going to say is going back to Michael Pence and, and uh, speech and debate. Remember, Lindsey Graham, who called down to Georgia to you know essentially say, help us find these votes also interposed the objection of speech and debate to the court saying, you can't ask me any questions in Georgia because this is legislative activity and, and speech and debate protects me. The court said, no, that's not true. A lot of what you were doing was political activity that's not covered by speech and debate and go in there and testify. So, you know, question by question, they can ask you about these things and question by questions, they can't ask you about those things. You may get that in Corcoran, that you may get a ruling from the court that says, these areas are kosher. You can ask him about that under the crime fraud infection, but some of these other ones, attorney-client privilege still applies. I think you may get a, you know, a, a hybrid sort of ruling that way, but I think that in the end, Brian, he's going to have to answer some of those questions, if not all of those questions, about the the, the process by which these documents came to be in Mar-a-Lago, moved around in Mar-a-Lago, searched in Mar-a-Lago, not complied with um, uh, by Mar-a-Lago, um, personnel and ultimately found by the FBI in their search. And and John, we both know that for the MAGA people, this won't matter. They'll just simply say it's a witch hunt. They're coming after us. <laughs> Facts be damned. So how do, do you think that at any point in time, any of this, and look, this is serious stuff. Corcoran was the guy, and correct me, I'm wrong, Michael, the, you know, sent out the letter in June saying, look, we've given everything up that we have. There's nothing more here. He helped well, at that ladder, that letter. Well, yes. To what I think I said was that my recollection is that he drafted the letter. Yes. And, and then told Bop, wasn't it Bop? Yeah. The other attorney told Bop, you you sign it. Yeah, you let, sign let, it. Let, let, the, <laughs> let the girl sign it. You know? yeah, <laughs> so terrible look. I have to tell you. <laughs> Not great. She's younger. She, she, she'll be all right. So, <laughs> yeah. She'll get out of jail. Well, she'll still be healthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is serious stuff, but for the MAGA crowd, uh, this is just more the same, isn't it? They won't believe it. They won't uh, they they won't believe that there was any wrongdoing ever by anyone on their team, uh, team MAGA. And it, it it won't matter. The question is, for me, at least, um, you know, how much defection do you get from the MAGA base to a candidate, say, like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who has not declared yet that he's a 2024 candidate for the presidential nomination? But how many people just kind of get fatigued and and want something different and someone different than Trump? But may, it's not Nikki Haley. It's certainly not Mike Pence. 
Um, and and DeSantis with his woke, war on woke down in Florida, he might be the guy. Also, this fatigue factor with all the Trump legal stuff. How many MAGA folks stay home? How many they just don't vote in the primary right. or the general next time? Um, but at they the seem same to be time, an active bunch. I want my question is: Do we ever get them to the point where not that they switch candidates, but that they adapt to reality? <laughs> no, I I think that ship is sunk. I, I don't. I don't think you. I don't know if they're get backable. I, I think that's a. It's the weekend, so we can make up words. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of a beat get backable. Well, I don't. Well, I, I think they're. I think they're beyond gone. And you know, this might be a generational thing um, where it just takes a decade or two for some sense of normalcy uh, to come back. Maybe not two. But it could take another decade for. I, I think the last, the next twenty years is going to determine whether or not we exist as a as a nation anymore. But that's just me. I think this generation is our last hope. But to your point, uh, of them not getting back to reality, here here's one for you. All right. So Nikki Haley announces this week. I speak to members of the GOP who say that she is the first woman of color to ever announce for for a major party presidential bid. Mm. And she she could be the the first woman to, to get a nomination. Well, first of all, the Republican Party, before all of them started wearing, you know, cloven hooves and uh, white hoods and in, in white robes, they, Margaret Chase Smith was the first woman of a major party to run. That was in 1964. She was a Republican. And of course, in 1972, it was Shirley Chisholm who became the first woman of color to run for president, and she was a Democrat. The Republicans seem to be um, unaware of their own history and of American history. And that seems to me to be one of the biggest problems we're going to have going into this election. You, you, you wrote about, you, and you talked about Nikki Haley announcing, what do you think, and Trump making fun of her, where do you think her candidacy goes, speaking of the MAGAs? Well, I'm used in uh, my newsletter or our newsletter, CQ Afternoon Briefing. Don't forget to subscribe to CQ.com. That she is now, most what was likely... that again? CQ.com? <laughs> CQ.com. There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm used that for Nikki Haley. Remember, she's 51 years old. She has right. a lot of, of really good experience, presidential level experience, uh, governor of a you know, pretty popular state down south, South Carolina. And uh she was the the UN ambassador, uh, the American ambassador to the United Nations. So she's got domestic experience and foreign policy experience, and she's dealt with how a White House works before. So you know she's got interesting experience. She's a woman, Indian American. She's a mother, uh, and again, she's only fifty one. So she's got plenty of time to be president. So I I get the sense she's probably introducing herself to the country for a future presidential run and angling for vice president. Uh, or at least to be the running mate on the GOP ticket this time. And I think she would bring a lot to the ticket as vice president this time. Um, you know, women voters have been a problem the last few cycle, not just for President Trump, but for other um, uh, Republican candidates, congressional candidates and others. So I said, yes, to kill Roe v. Wade doesn't gain you a whole lot of <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right. So um, so this could be a way to try to get some of those uh, women voters back. I'm not saying does Trump making jump. fun of her make any difference? 
Well, this is the magic of Donald Trump. Uh, remember Lil Marco? Remember yes. Lion's Head? And now they're some of his biggest defenders in the Senate. So this stuff, it sticks for as long as it has to. And then he brings her up at a rally or he does Hannity and at night. And he says, oh, well, you know, you say things to win an election, but I really like Nikki. And that was just in the kind of the the fog of war. And I had to say those things. And and, you know, her record is um, her, her record's not quite that bad. And, you know, I just said that. Uh, because I have to play the Democrats game and and that's how you win elections and the Democrats and the Democrats and it's their fault. And people just forget it. That's the, the part of his magic is his his followers and a lot of Republicans um, who have supported him, who you wouldn't necessarily expect, like Lil Marco and Lion Ted, they go along with it. And he's just got this pull, this this ability to to shapeshift almost. So I don't I don't think um, him making fun of her would prevent her from being his running mate, for instance. I think yeah. he could, with with four media appearances and two rallies, you know, it'd all be forgotten. There you go. Michael, your thoughts? Well, I'm not a big Nikki Haley fan. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like her policies. She seems like a nice enough person, but I, I don't like her um, policy. I didn't like her policies in the UN. I don't like her domestic policies. I don't like where she stands on almost every issue. So it's hard to be a Nikki Haley supporter. As to whether she has presidential legs, you know, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to know. She seems as conservative as she is, still by MAGA base terms, more moderate than um than many. Um and I don't know whether someone can be even you know an inch toward moderation and make it out of Republican primaries. John may be exactly right that that what this is to increase her uh, visibility so that she becomes somebody's vice presidential um, pick. But I don't know who exactly picks her and who exactly she would agree to be second to. Well, other than it's Trump. I think she would agree. Oh, but, to but I think I, I I think you know if she if she says look um notwithstanding Don Lemon I'm young and I um, notwithstanding Don uh, Lemon Lemon's running for president. <laughs> no, no, Don <laughs> Lemon. You know the you know what I'm referencing? Yes, I I do. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Go ahead. We'll get we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, we'll get to um, that in a minute. <laughs> um, and I Thank like you. Don Lemon a lot. So yeah. <laughs> go ahead but, but but and i don't and i think the point he was making was was not a bad one but anyway she's young and i think that tying her to self to the coattails of 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 a second donald trump or a third donald trump presidential run may not be what her political advisors would say is your long-term play. I, I, you know, it requires him to be elected and um, not do to her what happened to Pence. You know, Pence's notion, I guess, when he ran with Trump in 16 was, we'll do four or eight years. I'll be the heir apparent. 
And yeah. I'll just slide right in, even though I'm an obscure Indiana um, politician. Didn't work out so well for him that way. I think that there's a long history of people who, you know, fly too close to the sun, um, melt. And that is what I think one has to consider before joining a, a, a Trump campaign. Because what we've seen so far of his campaign is this is going to be the redux of the I've been uh, slighted tour, not I have a plan for the future of America. Well, this is his revenge tour. That's what well, I exactly. And and so why would you hook on to a revenge tour when you have stuff like this coming out of Fox saying that this was all a lie? I mean, I think that that I think that that's a a dangerous branding possibility mm-hmm. for Haley. Yeah, I agree. I, and I'll go further than both of you. I'll, I'll close it this way and say that I don't think that any of those top 10 uh, lists of uh, potential GOP candidates have identified who will actually be the GOP candidate yet. I think it's far too early. I think uh, I remember many times when people have come out of left field or in this case, right field, certainly not going to come out of center field. Um, have come in at the last moment. And I don't think that the Republicans have found anyone they can actually rally around yet. And uh, that's because there's the um, small number of MAGA people and the Matt Gateses of the world are still controlling the party. And if there's any of the party left, the, the Mitt Romneys and such, I, I think that we should wait to see if someone emerges. And I still say if they ever get their sense about them that uh, – you know, Cheney and Kitzinger would be the the one uh, they could never get out of a, a, a Republican primary, but they would be the most challenged to the Democrats in the fall of 2024. And Liz Cheney is no hero, and I'm no fan of hers, but what she did in January 6th is eminently translatable to votes, and Republicans and Democrats both that value sanity might see her as a candidate but i don't think that'll i i said before i don't think that'll happen now you did mention go ahead john yeah i just wanted to add um an old source of mine wrote uh, a blog post for brookings this week elaine kamarak who was um in the um clinton white house and she she noted i thought it was very smart that the more after haley we, we we assume desantis gets in haley's already in and really the two more Republican candidates. And the problem is just like 2016, they start to offset each other because yeah. Trump's got the 36, 38% built in. Um, DeSantis can get to maybe 29. And then the others just splinter the vote. And, and you know, winner take all states, he gets the delegates and, you know, you get two more of these candidates in and if they stick it out long enough, two, three more, then um, it really advantages Trump because DeSantis can't get that support from those others to get past Trump. And it's just a math problem. So, you know, if you get DeSantis in, Sununu in, um, Pompeo, Pence, I'm, I'm, it's it, unless Trump gets indicted and convicted, it's ballgame. He's got the nomination. Yeah, good point. Um, we mentioned earlier, before we go to break real quickly, we'll, I just want to cover this kind of quick, you know, the, the, because I hate covering the, uh, all right, how does the press cover something? I'm in. How do, how do we 
act on the air, sometimes we don't do so well. And so this week there was a blow up on the CNN <laughs> morning set with uh, Caitlin, who I know real well, and uh, uh, Don, who I know real well, and uh, on a comment about Nikki Haley. And John, you brought it up. What were your thoughts on on that? Um, well, I thought it was a strange thing to say. I thought it was a strange thing to say with uh, two females. Want to refresh us as to what he said? He said something along the lines of, "So Nikki Haley, a big part." Um, of her of her announcement speech this week was making the point that Joe Biden is is too old to be president and by by implication that Donald Trump is also too old. She said, you know, politicians over 75 should have cognitive tests uh, that that would be Trump. That would yeah. be Trump very soon. He's 74. So, yeah. you know, she was she's doing her best to not end up the VP, at least to start. And and trying to make the case that at 51, she's young, she's still sharp mentally, uh, physically, she's she's in better uh, health than both of those gentlemen. Um, and Don Lemon said something along the lines of women are, are in their prime in their 20s, 30s and 40s. So that would well, and 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 then he went into something about Googling things and and Harlow and Collins pushed back, especially Harlow, who. Um, is older than a lot older than than Caitlin Collins, um, <laughs> so understood that she pushed back and and Lemon never clearly even his cleanup. I didn't understand his cleanup. I didn't understand what what he was saying. You know, my mother is seventy three and she's still pretty damn sharp, Don. Yeah. <laughs> so Michael, you said you agreed with his comments. No, not not. I said that, but it but. I didn't mean it. No, uh, <laughs> I meant until well, I didn't. In, um, that's right. Um, exactly right. I was for the war until I was against the war. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Nikki Haley, to, to, agreeing with John Bennett, Nikki Haley says that inferentially Trump is getting too old and Biden is already too old and we need young blood. Lemon says, well, you know, she's not really young. She's in her late 40s, I guess. Is that what she is? 47? 51, 51. 51, I think. Then he yeah. said, so she's not really, women are not really young at that age. And that was stupid in the context of professional women in politics or in business or in law or in science or in anything like that. He said, no, Google it and you'll see. Well, um, the co-hosts, co-anchors said, are you talking about childbearing young? Or are you talking <laughs> about supermodel young? Are you talking about Hollywood actress young? You can't just make a statement that women in their 40s and 50s are no longer young. And that's where the whole thing sort of deteriorated. And what Lemon kept doing is to say, don't shoot the messenger, just Google it. But of course, if you Google, are women young in their 50s, the Google, if it had a ability to ask you a follow-up question, would say, in what profession? Or, or in and what context? So where, and in what context, right. And so that's where he sort of stepped in it a bit. He wasn't trying to um, disparage her necessarily. Um, but it sure 
turned out badly for him. And, you know, the thing that, and I, I know Lemon and I know Caitlin and I know Poppy and they're all wonderful people and, and great journalists. Um, but there sure seems to be a lot of tension on that morning show set. Am I the only cynic who thinks that that, that tension might be good for ratings? <laughs> I mean, if I'm the guy running the network, I the first thing you're going, you're going, oh, what are the morning ratings? What, 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 what were the overnights? Oh, they did okay? Eh, let them fight. I mean, at some point in time, I know that sounds horrible, but at the end of the day, that's what this business is, is those who, you know, that's why you have the Fox News people going, no, our stock is down. <laughs> Gin up the president. So uh, sometimes that battling Bickerson's thing um, leads to better ratings. I don't know where that goes, but I do think that it's uh, another indication. My often and frequent uh, uh, rant against, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, journalism and capitalism being joined together. That's just me, I admit it. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, lots more to talk about. So stick around, smoke a few, smoke them if you got them, edibles if you want them. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Uh, John Bennett's in the shower right now. Uh, Michael Zeldin is entertaining uh, several people over at his house. So... <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna jump in, big guy. Oh, oh, that wasn't a shower, was it, John? Okay, the, <laughs> <laughs> the shower. What are you talking about, Brian? <laughs> I'm sitting right here. I'm fully clothed. I think, <laughs> thankfully, yeah. <laughs> yeah and we're all glad for that. <laughs> the shower. Okay. <laughs> what are the so other... That's next week's show. We talked about no, that. That's all right. Week. Okay. Uh, the, the the continuing story you can't well you can't get away from the continuing story of the hot weather balloons but I I and and I, I want to get to that but Michael Cohen you know uh, Michael we talked earlier in this in this uh, podcast about ongoing investigations and Michael Cohen met with a Manhattan DA again this week and I wonder now I get, I'll take a quick uh, poll of both of you starting with you Michael do you think that this is going to end up uh, I mean is our indications that there will be indictments out of Manhattan or Georgia or the DOJ those three places well, out of Manhattan for the valuation of Trump properties before uh, banks and insurance companies and tax authorities I think they need Weisselberg's testimony I don't think I've said this before, not a, not to disparage Michael Cohen, but right. I don't think you can make a case 
on Cohen and documents alone. I think you need somebody to explain them who was part of the scheme. And so I do think you think that this means that they're going after Cohen to go after they're they're using Cohen to go after Weisselberg because it without if you think that without Weisselberg there is no major case if they see it your way then having Cohen sit down and talk with him would they be using him to go after Weisselberg is that a possibility well what they're trying to do as I understand it is to up the pressure on Weisselberg to cooperate he's in Rikers Island now which is if not pressure enough I don't know what is but he's there yeah, And they're pressuring him to say, we may bring insurance fraud charges against you. He might say, give me a proffer. You, the government, tell me what you think you've got on me. And I will then in that, what they call it a reverse proffer. In that, in that, in response to that, I'll let you know what I want to do. And so if that's the, if that's what's going on, then they're speaking to Cohen to, get more information so that they come to Weisselberg, they can say, all right, Weisselberg, here's what we got. This is why the case against you is strong. This is why you'll spend more time in Rikers or you know, can get out of jail free um, or get out of jail more quickly if, if you cooperate. I think that is my best guess about what's going on. And do you think, so do you think there'll be an, all right, so you think they'll have to have Weisselberg. What about the DOJ, Mar-a-Lago, and of course, Georgia. You see any indictments coming out of them? So Georgia has indicated um, in the report of the grand jury that was just released that they believe that some people may have lied to the grand jury. They didn't say who, which those people were, but they we did don't say know. Some we don't know who they are or what they lied about. But the grand jury in its report, the portion of the report that has been released by the judge said, the grand jury said, we think people ha have lied to us and you, the prosecutors, should bring charges um, as you deem appropriate. And so now we're in this waiting game to see whether the DA agrees that people um, lied. And usually the DA and the grand jury are in lockstep. And so who those people are and what they lied about. So is it likely that there'll be some criminal indictments out of Georgia? Yeah. As to whom, we don't we don't know. And it's you know really just pure speculation to 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 be saying who. We all can have our our, our top ten list of people who we'd like to see. I have a top one, but <laughs> but but as as one of my law professors used to say to us, wishing doesn't make it so. Well, um, as my old so man said, wish in one hand and shit in the other, and see which one fills up first. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and so, my law professor, my law professor couldn't say it that way. But, and well, he I, don't, I don't know that he would have disagreed with your dad. Um, <laughs> now, what about Mar-a-Lago? So, so Mar-a-Lago. It seems like it's moving along. We talked about Corcoran, the lawyer who seems to be at the heart of the obstruction um, aspect of this case. And, and therefore, it seems that they are really intent on finding out what happened here. I've said before that the initial mishandling of the documents, the taking of the documents from Mar-a-Lago, are not likely to result in criminal charges. 
what will result in criminal charges, if there are criminal charges at all, will be the obstruction. And the fact that they are trying to get to the lawyers who are key to knowledge of how those documents mysteriously appeared after the certification that there were no more documents is an indication that this is a serious case. You don't, in the ordinary course, reach the attorney-client privilege. That is not done uh, uh, flippantly. Right. The fact that they are, they've told the court that they believe that there was criminal law violations, at least potential criminal violations, in the conversations between Trump and his lawyers is, again, a serious indication that the, the DOJ is focused on this question of indictability. And I think, I don't know the answer again. I don't know whether there will be indictments, but all I can say is that it, it, it looks very serious. There you go. And I'm going to say that in all three cases, I think Donald Trump will be indicted. There you go. There's my there's my instant analysis. And, and it's hopeful. But I'll leave I'll leave. Uh, and I admit it's hopeful and speculative. But there it is. John, I'll leave you with the last word. Those three cases. Speaking of, speaking of speculative and thanks to Michael, I, I do need a column idea for next week and that top 10 list. Um, boy, that's a top candidate right now. There you go. Especially on a recess week with both chambers of Congress out and Biden overseas. So thank you for that. Um, I, I, I think, uh, Georgia, you've asked the question, Brian, here before, you know, will Donald Trump be indicted any of the, the, the three states where, you know, New York, Georgia, or Florida. And I've always said, I thought a Trump indictment is most likely at least first out of the Georgia case, but now you know, Michael brings up uh, the the grand jury report about perjury from witnesses. So yep. I think not if you expand it beyond the question, not just Trump, but Trump circle people, uh, then Georgia seems like it's it's clearly uh, the place to watch for any indictments right now. But you, you don't lie to federal officials. Um, that's just not smart. Michael can talk more about that than me. Um, so can Michael. So just, John, just John, just one point to this. If the if the report of the grand jury is some people who appeared before the grand jury lied to us, Trump did not appear before the grand jury. Correct. Yes. So that doesn't implicate Correct. him. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Good. Good clarification. Yeah. Trump on trying to overturn the election and everyone else maybe for trying to help him do so and also lying. So I think, George, if you're looking for any indictments, is the clear number one. And yeah, the Mar-a-Lago case or cases. Um, involving Trump and others, yeah, those are the two that I'm watching for indictments, including ones of the former president. Yes, can I, can I add just one last thing, Brian? Sure. Which is, we have not yet answered the part of your question, which says, what about the January 6th case? And is there a likelihood that there'll be indictments there for conspiracy to interfere with the transfer of power. And that's the most complicated and also um, potentially the most, the most difficult. It's the, mo it's the most complicated to bring, most difficult to, to um, prevail on. But again, their indications are that the Justice Department is talking to people about this. This is the Pence subpoena. They want to talk to him about what happened on January 6th because they have to tie 
Trump's knowledge to the insurrection, to the fraud. And that uh, coward knows. And 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 so the fact that they're going after the 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 sitting vice former sitting vice president um, and will challenge his assertion of speech and debate privilege in court indicates again a seriousness of purpose in a methodical undertaking. People may not be happy that it's not moving as fast as as possible, um, but it is but- moving. But I think it is moving, and I think it's moving, as I said, with a seriousness of purpose. And we'll just have to, you know, wait on this. Tom Petty saying, "What, Brian? The waiting is the hardest part." Well, is, there, there you go. And on that wonderful note, I want to thank everybody for being here this week. Waiting is the that, that could be the that could be the watchword of our of, of our podcast. Waiting is the hardest. Yeah, you part. can say that's right. Attorney Zeldin says. Wait, wait, the waiting wait. is on. So last week we had the Stevie Van Zandt shout out. This yeah, now, now, now we have the Tom Petty shout out. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, everybody, I'm going to go around, uh, plug what you want. John, what, 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 what would you like to plug this week? Uh, we've got the newsletter at CQ.com and check out my weekly column every Friday, rollcall.com. And Michael, your turn. I continue to host the podcast that said with Michael Zeldin. We just released, as I said last week, the two-part interview with Carl Bernstein. And coming up this coming week is a two-part interview with Karen Demersian and Rachel Bade, who wrote a book called Unchecked, the subtitle of which is How the Democrats Blew the Two Trump Impeachments. An interesting book and uh, a fascinating conversation. Sounds good. And the name of this podcast is Just Ask a Question. You catch my stuff on Salon. The name of the book is Free the Press, uh, available wherever fine books are sold now on its third printing. So stick around. We'll catch you next week. I am Brian Karam. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.